It's not that she's fearless. Fearlessness is a complete myth. It's simply that she has moved through that fear and has taken action. Okay, so this one is a gem. I am speaking with Becca Reed Smith. She is a trauma therapist and a mindset coach, and she is all about straightforward guidance. She typically works with highly motivated, introspective women and helps them foster those feelings of safety and confidence and empowerment that we all crave. She's particularly focused on helping her clients learn how to nurture their nervous systems, befriend their fear, and stand in their power. She really wants all of us to master our mindsets and address our past hurts so that we can move through self-doubt and create awesome lives. And today we're talking about that, fear and self-doubt and how it can hold us back, get in our way, but more importantly, what we can do about it, how we can get the jump on our fear. The way she describes it is really understandable and, well, just listen. It's super good. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Becca, welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm really excited to talk to you about fear and self-doubt. Thank you. I'm excited to hang out and talk about fear and self-doubt. Because don't we just all experience this at some time or other or like all the time? Yes. And many of us more than others. And that's why I love chatting about this topic, because I find that the more we know, the more at ease we can be with it. That totally makes sense to me. So I want to start with the basics. When you are talking about fear, what is that? What does that mean to you? Fear is uh, what I like to let people know is that fear is a completely normal function of our brain and that it will kick up and at inappropriate times and at very appropriate times. And the problem is, is that our brains sometimes misperceive danger. So they think the brain thinks that we're in an immediate danger. And unfortunately, we're not when something, you know, it's something insignificant that causes our fear to kick up. And that could be just, you know, asking somebody out or anything like that. You know, those things, it brings up all, all kinds of feelings for us and fear and the doubt. And then the story kicks up and all of that stuff. And it just gets in the way of taking action. Oh, so many things to talk about right there. <laughs> How do you perceive fear as being different to self-doubt? And are they potentially related? What's going on between those two concepts? 
Good question. They are greatly related. I look at fear, and this is just my perception of it. I don't know if it's necessarily right or wrong, but my perception is fear is very much the physiological experience that we have. The doubt is more related to the story that kicks up when any when it's triggered, whatever's triggering that doubt to come up. It's all of the stories that we have about ourselves and our abilities or whatever it may be. But the fear that kicks up is what we're feeling in our bodies. So is the fear kind of the experience in the moment and the yes. self-doubt is everything that goes along with that? Exactly. It's kind of one big package. They're very much linked. Totally makes sense. So when we're in a state, is it fair to call it a state of fear in your opinion? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So when we're feeling fearful, what kind of things might we be experiencing physically? When we're in that sort of fear state, we are going to experience things like an increased heart rate, our palms might be sweaty, our mind might be racing or completely numb. You know, it, it almost feels like we're not thinking at all. And so we have this rush of adrenaline that takes place when we're in that fear state. And it just sends all of these different processes in our brains and our bodies and our nervous systems to take place and respond quickly and hopefully effectively to the perceived threat. Unfortunately, like I said, the same thing occurs when it's seemingly an insignificant thing that's happening in our lives that has triggered this whole process to take place. So it's that flight or fight response, but it doesn't always necessarily come up when we're really faced with something that is threatening. It could be a psychological threat. It is. I mean, you have to think that that process of the brain, like I said, it's just a completely normal function of the brain. It's a super important part that is there. It's there for self-preservation. And if you think about it, What I like to set up is if you're crossing the street and you see a car coming, all of a sudden just comes out of nowhere, it feels like you immediately jump back onto the curb. You don't have to think about it. You just act on instinct. And that is your fight or flight system appropriately kicking in. Now, unfortunately, if we are doing something as simple as asking somebody out or maybe asking for a raise at work or whatever it may be, and that same sort of like heart rate increases and things like that transpire, it's a perceived threat because there's nothing really wrong with asking for a raise. That's There's nothing to be concerned about there. Your life isn't being threatened. But it's interesting that the stories kick up and that fear response kick up for the same in the same way as if it were an actual real threat. Oh my gosh. And I'm pretty sure we can all think back to a time where we've been there and been fearful and nothing's necessarily in front of us. It's all in the stories we're telling ourselves. Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about that because, you know, those stories or those scripts we have are so important to how we live our lives. Can we talk a little bit more about how you define that part of it, the story? Yeah, absolutely. Self-talk and the stories that we create. I mean, those are not coming out of nothing. Those are coming out of our life experiences. They are coming from the stories we've been told about ourselves 
outside of us. So whether it's a parent or teacher or whomever, um, we pick up these bits and pieces or we just perceive them. Sometimes they're not so obvious. It's not somebody necessarily saying, oh, well, you're really bad at math. Maybe you just struggled a little bit or maybe you've got a bad grade once and then you took it on as I'm terrible at math. So all of those things contribute to the stories that we have about ourselves. And then when we have or when we're going through life and things are popping up in our world and, you know, new new opportunities come along. And although you feel like, yeah, that would be great. It's going to move me in the right direction. That self-doubt voice comes in and says, I don't know. I don't think you're really good enough for that that position or that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so if we start listening to that instead of moving through it or quieting it or shifting it in any way, then if we listen to that, then we're never going to make move it forward in our lives, whatever we're moving towards. So before we start talking about how we can not listen to it and by uh-huh. end, I want to talk a little bit about your background. You are a trained therapist. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more? Sure. I have been providing um, outpatient psychotherapy since 2010. My focus is working with women and supporting women through different mental health issues and emotional wellness challenges, as well as specifically trauma recovery. And so I've taken all the the beautiful new information that continues to come to us via trauma researchers and all those fabulous people who are doing that kind of work. We can take that brain science and utilize it in the therapy sessions, as well as the mindset coaching I provide for my coaching clients. So all of that information can help us better understand our fear response and how we kind of manage our feelings and are managing our stress and all of that good stuff so that we can create more ease and success in our lives. Can you remember times where you've been fearful, where you've felt like, oh my gosh, do I really have the stuff to make this work? (laughs) Absolutely. And it's something that never goes away. So let me just normalize that for everyone. It does get easier and certain things get easier, but we always have new things that pop up in life and business that we just think, oh my goodness, how am I going to move through this? But I know early on, especially when I started my private practice, the first week I was in private practice, I had had several cancellations. And I just remember sitting in my office crying, like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And of course, we moved through that. And I moved through that and create a very successful private practice focusing on women's mental health and trauma recovery. So it certainly works its way out. But it's there are times where it's new and and scary. And I just recently moved my practice to a new area to be closer to home. And so there are several things I have to kind of start all over again, because I'm not as well known in this new town. So there's a lot of things that I have to kind of go back to and and try again. And I'm so excited to do it now compared to several years ago when I first got started. I was just scared out of my mind to talk about what I do, even though I enjoy doing it and know what I'm doing. Um, It's so much easier now, you know, several years later. And I'm just excited to, you know, really to chat with anybody who's interested and talk about how I can help their clients and how they can help mine and all that good stuff. So, but it is, it's something that continually comes up. And that's what I remind people too, is that there's no difference between you and that super confident person at work that you're thinking, how in the world does she do this? How is she? She just asked for a raise and she got it. How did she like move through that fear? It's not that she's fearless. Fearlessness is a complete myth. 
It's simply that she has moved through that fear and has taken action. So when we start learning how to manage the fear, how to how to shift the self-doubt and that cruddy story that we have, then we can start taking action in our lives. And that's what is so exciting. But there's no difference. Like everybody's got fear. It's always going to be there. The brain functions that way. It keeps us safe in many ways, but we cannot allow it to hold us back. So that's why it's so important to learn how to take those steps to move through it instead. Oh my gosh. I just want to totally agree with everything you just said there, (laughs) Becca. I was saying to my assistant the other day, and it was really funny. I got back from a vacation and I'd been kind of out of my world for a few weeks. And I said, oh my gosh, I like just had this moment of looking at this work I've created. And I, I said to her, oh my gosh, I have all these people listening to me on this podcast. Like, how on earth am I capable of this? And she just laughed at me so hard because she's obviously always perceived me as like a very confident person who's running out there doing my thing. And I just had this moment of like, oh, and then I had to remind myself that I have been doing it the whole time. Exactly. Nothing has changed here. I just got the speed wobbles for half a second. And then I got back into it and I was fine. But It's so interesting how you're right. None of us ever let go of fear completely. And Mm -mm. to be honest, I believe that if you don't feel scared out of your wits at times with the way you're approaching life, then are you really living life to the fullest? Exactly. And I, that I feel the same way about stepping out of our comfort zone. And I remember hearing, and I of course cannot remember who it was, but somebody had said something to the effect of, you have to think that those self-doubting stories come up really only when we move closer to exiting our comfort zone. If we're not hearing that sort of self-doubt stuff pop up, then we're not living life to the fullest. We're not stepping out of our comfort zone and trying new things. So if it's like, really, really calm and not hearing anything from that self-doubt, then it, then you're, you're missing out on something. So being able to notice, okay, this self-doubt's coming up, but that's because I'm pushing myself. I'm pushing myself outside of what I know and what I'm comfortable with and trying something new or showing up in a different way or whatever it may be in life. And it's so related to that feeling of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. that which I know I talked about on this podcast before, but my first job in corporate, I was like, holy moly, I am not capable of this job. Don't (laughs) tell anyone. Um, I was so capable of that job. I just had to let my thoughts catch up with what I was doing. Exactly. And it takes a little while. I've, I've 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 had several experiences where that has happened where it feels like these, it almost feels as though these quantum leaps take place, even though we've been doing like laying the groundwork out long before that. But then it suddenly feels like, oh my goodness, now I'm where I was trying to be. But then, you know, getting to that place and feeling like, wait a minute, who am I to be in this position? Who am I to help these people this way? And all of that sort of comes up where it's like, okay, it just takes a little while for a mindset to come back into place and in alignment with what we're doing and how we're showing up in the world, but it'll get there. Don't give up on that. Don't get too locked into that imposter syndrome because we can certainly get ourselves trapped up in that for sure. Being able to 
step away from the imposter syndrome and say, okay, this is new, but I'm going to figure it out. It's going to be okay, just as it always has been. One of my favorite quotes is from uh, a woman, an online business entrepreneur called Marie Folio. Uh And it's so sticky. Like it stuck with me from the first time I heard it. Everything is figure outable. And I love it. You know, like I have built my business with that premise in mind that I will work it out. I had no idea how to start a podcast. I had no idea how to start a blog. In fact, I had no idea how to register a business. I knew (laughs) nothing, people, but everything is figure outable. I can't even say it (laughs) because it's not really a word, but but we'll go with that. I want to go back, Becca, to when you said you started your private practice and then, of course, the universe just likes to screw with us. (laughs) You have a whole bunch of cancellations on your first week. How did you deal with that? Was there this moment of wanting to just put your head between your legs and run away or your tail between your legs and run away? Yes, Yes. and just wanting to give it all up. Like I just sat in my office and cried for a little bit. I had to, I had to just let that out first, (laughs) you know, the disappointment and the, the fear and the doubt. And, um, you know, some of that, that doubtful story of like, well, see, see, this was going to be hard, you know, that sort of thing that I probably told myself at some point or another. And then I figured it out, you know, and then I just went into the next day and, you know, had conversations with my clients, you know, the next time I was supposed to see them about the importance of them coming in regularly, or at least giving me a call and letting me know that they weren't going to come in, you know, (laughs) things like that. Um, And as well as really hitting the ground running with regards to reaching out to possible referral people who would refer folks to me and referral parties and such so that I could have a large base of people. So if in fact I had a cancellation here and there, it wouldn't just completely ruin me for the week. <laughs> I'm going to throw you for six. What I'm hearing there is that you focused on action. Is that exactly. one of the ways that you encourage people to step out of fear? Absolutely. It's all about taking action. And the thing that I always come back to, particularly when I'm working with my, my trauma clients, but this go, this is very, very true for every single one of us. We all want to feel safe and secure with where we're, where we are, both with, with regards to our physical environment and kind of the landscape within ourselves, all of that. So we want to be able to feel safe and grounded. And then once that happens, we, so much clarity comes with it and our menu of options gets longer and longer and more robust. So then we have all of these options that of with regards to the actions we can take next. Whereas if we're stressed out of our minds, that menu of options is very, very limited. And so when we get to this place of feeling calm, cool, and collected, we can then take an action. And as we move forward, we begin to see, oh, look, I can do it. I can do it. So we're building all of this evidence to quiet down that self-doubting dialogue that's saying, no, you can't, no, you can't. You have all this evidence that says, no, look, I am. It's not only that I can, but I'm doing it currently. Check this out. And so all of that beautiful evidence we can hang on to and use and kind of come back to during those times of doubt or those moments of fear when those kick up of, oh my goodness, I have no idea what to do with this or how to do this, but you can figure it out because you've figured it out before. Right. What I will say is we're all just winging it. 
And I yeah. just I just keep winging this thing called life, and it's working out <laughs> well for me. So like we're all winging it. So cool, calm, and collected being the vital first step. We have to get ourselves to a place where we can at least think. We don't have that fuzzy brain going on. How do you encourage people to get to that place of bringing the emotion down a level and and being cool, calm, and collected? So let me. I'm going to kind of describe this set up and maybe it's something we could link to in the podcast notes or something. Oh, we can too, totally okay? do that. We will, put, right. <laughs> we will put this in the show notes. Beautiful. Put it in the show notes because it's a wonderful, wonderful visual because when I saw it, when it was taught to me, I was like, oh my goodness, this all makes sense. So there's this beautiful thing called a window of tolerance. And that was brought about by Pat Ogden, who is a wonderful trauma researcher. So you have to see two parallel lines, horizontal lines. And that space between those parallel lines is our window of tolerance. And now some of us have a really wide window of tolerance, while others have a more narrow window of tolerance. So you are somebody who has experienced um, a lot of toxic stress or just a lot of stress over time, then your window is going to be quite narrow. And now if you're somebody who's far more easygoing, you don't get riled up too easily, then I would suspect that yours is probably a bit wider. So either way, what happens is, is if we are triggered in our environment and it can be something seemingly small and insignificant, such as somebody cut you off on the way to work that you were already late <laughs> to getting out of the house and you just get incredibly irritable, just like, boom, just snap second and you're feeling completely irritable. So you have to think, so now you're outside of your window, you're above your window. So you're above that top line of those two lines. And so our systems, our nervous systems actually can't hang out there for too long. So what happens is we de- drop down below the second line. So that's where we feel either depressed, numbed out, kind of meh and blah, that sort of thing. And sooner or later, we'll then go back into our window, whatever that baseline might be, because we just naturally move back to some something that resembles an equilibrium. So that is the window of tolerance. And one of the things that I teach all of my clients is to learn how to slow down and be aware of how you're doing within this window. Because we go up and down within the window all day long, but sometimes things out in our environment or even internal thoughts that kind of come up for whatever reason will trigger us to go outside of our window. And we can't, we just don't operate. Like we just don't operate as well outside of our window as we do when we're in the window. Cause if you think about it, when we're in the window of tolerance, then we are thinking clearly talk about cool, calm and collected. We're doing pretty well when we're within that window. And so when we are not, we're outside of that window. So a lot of the work is being able to track, okay, am I in my window? Am I outside of my window? Knowing what triggers me outside of my window and what I need to do with regards to possibly widening that window up. Maybe I'm somebody who's just chronically stressed. Maybe my job is super stressful or my home life, there's just a lot going on and all of that will narrow that window quite a bit. So a lot of the work is just widening the window, understanding what triggers you, and also learning what you can do to get back into that window faster versus just kind of allowing the system to come back into balance on its own. Loving this. And it's definitely going in the show notes. So (laughs) if you want to go and look at the picture, I will put a link at the end of the podcast, or you can head over to the, to the show notes right now. But 
So if we are, you're saying that the stresses or the things that come into our lives, they narrow our window. They kind Mm -hmm. of wear us down and make our, our window of tolerance smaller. And there is this power in being able to recognize when we're getting towards the edge or over or outside of our window of tolerance. So hypothetically, we can recognize that we're getting a bit wound up. I can be a bit of a panic monkey at times. So I'm thinking of myself getting into my panic monkey state. Mm. When we're getting a bit wound up, what kind of things do you suggest people do to calm that nervous system back down, to make sure that they don't go skyrocketing off outside their window of tolerance? Once they recognize that that's where they're functioning, what are some ways we can get the nervous system to just go, okay, we're going, we're not going to go outside. We're going to stay right here. You actually just did it. The (laughs) fastest way is to take a deep breath. Okay. What will happen is that will calm that part of the nervous system, that fight or flight part of the nervous system, and instead activates the rest and digest part of the system, which is where everything kind of calms down. The heart rate decreases, muscles relax, mental clarity comes about, all that good stuff that we're looking for. So taking a good old deep breath will instantly bring you back to a much better place. Like you, you might not be there 100%, but you're moving in the right direction. And that's what's important there. So once you're able to take that deep breath, then again, that menu of options really opens up. I love that. I like the way you called it the rest and digest system. That's going to stay with me, right? So take a deep breath so that you can get out of your flight and fight mode and Mm -hmm. into your rest and digest. Awesome. All right. So these thoughts, these ridiculous thoughts that we all have that basically say, really, Kate, do you really think you're capable of doing that? Or whatever the self-defeating thought may be. What do you often see in your clients as self-defeating thoughts? How are people restricting themselves or holding themselves back from from living the biggest lives? A lot of it is just the simple, I I can't do it or I'm not good enough. There's a lot of I'm not good enough to do whatever it may be. And then the, a lot of just general fears, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of judgment are three of the big ones. And so really being able to identify, okay, this is this is the thoughts that are coming up. This is the dialogue I'm having and really doing some of the deeper work and trying to figure out where that comes from is a wonderful use of time and energy. Because if we can kind of get to the root of it, then we can really knock it out versus having to kind of put a bandaid on it and make it well, it's better right now. And it helped me move through, which is, you know, valuable for sure. But if we can actually get to the root of the challenge there and knock that out, then it would be less likely that you have to deal with that same sort of dialogue once again. It's like ripping out a weed at the root as opposed to just cutting it off at the top. Exactly, because it's going to grow back every single time. But if you just take it out by the root, then you're going to be in far better shape. Absolutely. That's why we need to go deep into why we're yeah. why we've got the the thoughts that we have, where they're coming from and how we can undo them. How do we change once we've recognized that we've got some unhelpful self-talk, you know, that I'm not good enough? Do you have any tips for how clients, how can they start to reprogram their minds? I would have them start at looking at the evidence that proves otherwise. So if they believe that they're not smart enough, but, you know, over the course of 
the few years they've been working for an employer, they've gained more and more responsibility and promotions and pay, then there's some really good evidence that shows that they can learn new things and also be trusted to do their job duties in a way that has led to greater promotions for them. So it's being able to step back and look at the information in a way that is open and um, versus coming from this sort of feeling emotional place, you know, and, and stuck in that storyline of like, well, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough. We can take a step back, be more objective and be able to see, actually, there, I have this really awesome evidence that proves otherwise. And so we begin to really look at that. And then when that sort of um, self-talk comes up again, we can say, no, 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 I, I have gained so much in my time working for this employer and steadily have has in, have increased my pay or whatever it may be. So no, I don't think this is correct. So then there's this cognitive dissonance between these two pieces. And over time, it'll shift out of that line of that storyline of, you know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, I like that. Challenge your own stories or assumptions exactly. with evidence. Exactly. The other thing that I really like to help people do, we all get stuck in this what if storyline. Well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? And I tell people just go ahead and answer your what if questions. So what if you don't get the job that you were applying to? Well, then you're probably going to apply to another job or you can stay at the one that you have currently for a little bit longer. You have options. You know, we forget that we are resourceful and that, again, we will figure it out. But all of those what ifs come in and that ends up being the doubting dialogue. It just comes in that question of what if. So start answering your own what if questions. And even if the very worst thing happens, you're still going to figure it out. It's not the end of the world. It just sometimes feels like it is. You know, our brains are making up these stories and lying to us saying that it is the end of the world. Be afraid. But in actuality, it's it's not. And we can certainly figure it out. Oh, I love that. Answer your what if questions, people. Don't just let them stay at what if and have your mind make up this worst case scenario. When you really get to the bottom of it, it's often not as scary as, as our brains are making it feel, right? Exactly, exactly. You mentioned also cognitive dissonance, and I would love to chat a little bit more about this because interestingly enough, I swear I have been talking about this with clients, like it's come up several times over the last few weeks, and I feel like a lot of people don't understand or know what cognitive dissonance is, and I was hoping that you could go into a little definition as we sort of mentioned it in passing there. What is cognitive dissonance? It's really where we have like inconsistent thoughts and beliefs as that they're inconsistent with the behavioral changes that we're making and such, or the decisions we're making or attitude changes or whatever it may be. It, it really comes down to things aren't in alignment. And sometimes in this case, it's sometimes a good thing because it motivates, it, it brings about change in some ways. So being able to see, okay, if this is the belief that I have about myself, but here's all the evidence that proves otherwise, then our brains are kind of forced to see and really look at this evidence and take it in. And that's going to help support a shift in our thoughts and our beliefs about ourselves or our attitudes about ourselves and, and or our situation or our ability or whatever it may be. So it's being able to see that difference and that difference will, that space between those two things is going to get thinner and thinner. 
I love the way you're talking about that space lessening between the two. And yes. I like the way you talked about it being a positive, you know, like it, it's what causes us to shift once we can see evidence to the opposite way of looking at it. But most people I've heard talk about it, which I think is great that you looked at the positive, you know, it can work against us too. So if we have these negative thoughts or these thoughts that we truly believe but aren't facing up to, we often self-sabotage. Right, exactly. Our behavior has to meet our thoughts. I'm going to ask you my standard questions that I ask everyone, Becca. This just helps us like have a bit of fun on the interview and I get to know you a little bit better. So are you ready? Go right ahead. Are you a morning person or a night person? That's so funny. I would say that I certainly certainly enjoy my mornings more than my nights, but don't get me wrong. I'm not somebody who wants to wake up super early, but I would love to wake up and generally do wake up around 6 30, 7 o'clock and really ease into my day. So I'm not going to get up at 5 a.m. and, you know, go for a five mile jog or anything crazy, but I would definitely, I definitely enjoy my mornings more than my, my nighttime. I'm not going to stay up super late. I enjoy my sleep. <laughs> you know, my kids are slightly jet lagged at the moment and they've been they always wake me up but they haven't been waking me up for the last week and this morning I I woke up just with the sun kind of coming in on my face at about 10 past seven and I was like oh this is dreamy I mean it did put me a little bit behind for the school run but there is something so beautiful about just waking up by yourself (laughs) exactly exactly what is currently sitting on your nightstand can you remember Oh, nothing exciting. There's some candles there and then just the standard alarm clock. I think that's all that's on it right now. Nothing exciting. <laughs> so you use an alarm clock, not your cell phone for I do. Up? Yes. I kick it old school and I use an alarm clock. Not to say that my phone's not somewhere close by, but I do actually have an alarm clock, which is equally as annoying in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's just kicking it old school. It's a design preference. It is. What is your favorite self-care activity? I deeply value my alone time, love my alone time. I'm married to an extrovert who would talk my ear off all day long if she could (laughs) and anybody else who may be around. (laughs) And so I really need my alone time or my quiet time, whatever it may be, because that's what I need to really recharge. And also knowing that I interact with people all day long, my clients and such, I really, really (laughs) need my alone time um, and really try to build that into my my schedule during the week. So how does your wife take this when you're like, I'm sorry, goodbye. I love you. Go- I love you. Goodbye. This is my self-care time. <laughs> Sometimes it's better and easier than other times because, I, and she knows, like we've been together for quite some time and she knows, especially if I've had a long day with several clients, like, just give me a second. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to change and I'm going to take my sweet, sweet time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> my sweet, sweet time. So wh- what do you do with your, like, what does alone time? Is it just taking your sweet, sweet time to get changed? Because I'm, I'm a big, I have very long showers. Yes, I love I to read my book. <laughs> Is this the kind of stuff that you will do? You'll just take yourself oh, yes, off into I could a corner? Definitely. I could shower for hours as long as I have hot water. And other times I'll go into the meditation room and sit and maybe pull a couple cards and meditate for a few moments or breathe, if nothing more. It may, it may not get you know that far along, but at least breathing some deep breaths. Um, and then I'll, I'll cl- you know, collect myself and go on downstairs and finish off the evening. But I definitely need my quiet time. I love it. Finish the day of social interaction.
kitchen, right? Yes. I, <laughs> now, I feel you. Now I can handle my wife. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken a deep breath, recentered, good to go. Yep. Do you have a favorite book, Becca, or one that's changed your life? That's so funny. Unfortunately, I'm not the biggest reader, but I do listen to books. I had a longer commute for several years and listened to lots of books that way. Um, So right now, what's queued up on my Audible is The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins, which I'm super enjoying. And I also have found myself re-listening to both of Jen Sincero's books, which I absolutely love. And I just love, I really love both of um, her and Mel Robbins' approach and just how they kind of come about the self-help. They're just straightforward, (laughs) no BS kind of ladies. I appreciate that. I've only read Jen's first book. Her second book's about making money, right? Yes, that's a good one too. Yeah, so Jen's first book is that yellow book called You Are a a Badass. I feel like I have to say it in an American accent because (laughs) you are a badass doesn't really sound as effective in my opinion but it it is what I liked about Jen's book is it's like she she shares her lessons but it's in a very approachable and light-hearted manner it's very easy reading do you have when you look back on your life so far is there sort of a lesson that you took the long route on like a life lesson (laughs) that you just it took you a while to learn and if so what was it I would say, and this is still very much a work in progress for me, is asking for help. I'm still not great at that, but I'm getting so much better at it now than it once was. But really asking for help, whether even if it's just the little things with business or life, whatever it may be, just being able to ask for assistance. Even I remember I had my car in the shop just recently. And just because of our schedules and everything, I there was no way for me to get back and pick up my car. And I had to ask a friend and I felt like, oh my God, goodness, this, she's busy. She has a family. She's got kids at home and I have to ask her to drag me over and, you know, for me to pick up my car. And I just felt like I was asking the world of her when in fact it, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terribly out of her way. We both work in the same town. We don't live that far from one another. It was really okay. But I was really, really nervous about asking for help, which is so silly. And so that's why every time I open up a new client and start working with somebody new, I always point out like, good for you for asking for help, for reaching out for some extra support, whatever that looks like, whether it's for um, therapy or coaching or whatever. And so, because I know how hard it is for myself and for many people, but it it is hugely beneficial at the same time when we're able to do so. Right. And out of interest with your friend and I assume she came and helped you out. There's there's something so nice about being able to help a dear friend. Is there not? I mean, seriously, the person doing the the helping, I swear you get as much if not more out of it. So do your friends and the people closest to you a favor and ask them to help you out. You're doing them a service too, I've decided. They are, exactly. And they're more than happy to do it. And and it really is. And I know that I... I'm very helpful to friends too and and only hang out with folks who I know are also very helpful. So who would do the same for me. So that's why I feel like it's so silly when I get so wrapped up in that line of thinking, those stories kick up again and we have to look at the evidence like, no, you have a really good friend and you would be a really good friend to her if and when she needed any sort of support. Stories, get your Ugh. evidence out. Get your evidence out. I know. Out. We're fabulous storytellers. It's, it's terrible, <laughs> aren't really. We just, aren't we just as humans? What is one thing in your day you can't do without, Becca? Music. I love music. 
music of really of any kind, whether it's just the radio on or whatever it may be, definitely music. So do you get up in the morning and turn on the radio? Frequently, like if I'm in the, taking, you know, an hour and a half long shower, I definitely have the radio on. So it's interesting that it's kind of like my quiet alone time, but I still have music. So it's not utter silence. <laughs> I was laughing the other day because I, I've, I too love music and I've been able to be in the car. My kids are now, what, how old are they? Four? Like that? I can't even think. I'm four and six years old. So I'm not spending as much time with them in the car as in, you know, during my work days, I'm often in the car by myself, which was, there was a long period where that wasn't the case. And I have been cranking my sounds so loud <laughs> when I am by myself. I feel yeah. like a rebellious teenager. And I'm like, <laughs> the people at the traffic lights are probably laughing at me just sitting there boogieing out in my car by myself. <laughs> my husband jumped in my car the other day and I said, oh, I've just been really loving the fact that I've been listening to music really loud in my car. And he's like, yeah, I noticed every time I get in there, I have to turn it down because it's <laughs> blaring at me. And I'm like, yeah. So I hear you on the music thing. It's it it's still it's constitute quiet alone time, even when you're kind of blaring exactly. yourself with music. <laughs> How would you describe the soul? Such a good question. Um, I would say that this is this is really where all of our answers lie. We have everything that we need within us. And when we reach out for support and help and assistance, it's really just that other person acting as a catalyst so that you can get in touch with that innate knowing. So it's just the place within us that's so full of confidence and clarity and compassion, both for ourselves and others. And that, you know, when we grow quiet and turn inward, then we get begin to get rooted in something so much larger than ourselves. And that connectedness to each other and the expansiveness of the universe, all of that helps ground us and makes us feel so much more secure. And it's not just as if we're flapping in the breeze of life. You know, we are so much more grounded and connected, um, both uh, with ourselves and each other in the universe, God, source, whatever it may be. It's all the same thing. And so, yes, those the answers are already with the, in us. And we just have to quiet ourselves down, slow down and start turning inward and asking ourselves those deeper questions. Boom, Becca and I are totally on the same page, people. <laughs> what is fulfillment to you? Fulfillment is, for me, it's this feeling of ease and pride that comes with successfully creating something that I set out to do. So that I put in, I've put into motion, whatever I've put into motion has really come to fruition and is really just branching out and growing and evolving and doing all those beautiful things. And so there's just this beautiful sense of ease and pride in the work that I've done. Mm. Okay. I have a couple more questions for you to wrap up. I want to go back to fear and self-doubt. When we are living in that, we talked a little bit about action and how action is one of the vital steps we can take to move through our fear. How can we act when we're feeling paralyzed by fear? What is the advice you would give someone? Being able to, again, slow down, noticing that you're kind of trapped in that fear loop and taking those deep breaths, as we said earlier, so that you can get grounded and rooted once again, and to be able then to see a fuller picture. And 
when it comes to taking action and the fear being the thing that's absolutely getting in the way or the stories, either one, the thing that I remind everyone to do, there are three questions to ask yourself to bring everything into perspective. So if it's fear around taking an action in particular, ask yourself, what's the very best thing that could happen if I did this, if I did this thing? And write, write all of those things down because it's probably going to be more than one answer to that question, but write them down. And then ask yourself, what's the very worst thing that could happen if I did this? And write those things down too. And one list may be longer than the other list. And, and maybe the worst thing list is longer than the, the best thing list. But maybe those few things on the best things that could happen far outweigh some of the things that are listed on the very worst things that could happen. So being able to see that right in front of you is so helpful. And then lastly, ask yourself, if I take this ask, action, is this going to kill me? So unless you're doing something crazy, it's probably not going to kill you. But what it does, that question brings our brains into this very rational space. It reminds us and our systems, our nervous systems that, hey, we're safe. We're okay. This is not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. It may be overwhelming and, and the worst thing could happen. But again, going back to, well, what if this worst thing does happen? You see that you're, res- you're resourceful and a strong individual and you'll figure it out and it'll be okay anyway. But being able to ask yourself those three questions brings you into this beautiful place of being rational, but also seeing, look at all these beautiful things that could happen if I go ahead and take this action. Right. Like I think about myself back in the day when I was starting my blog. And if I had asked myself those questions, I'm a very quick to action person, by the way, people. But if I had sat down and said to myself, like, what is the best thing that could happen? Well, it's what I'm now living, which I Mm -hmm. couldn't have even predicted then. (laughs) But you know, it's that this blog could turn into something and that I could reach a lot of people. And what's the worst thing that could happen? No one reads my blog. Or (laughs) someone tells me it sucks. That was the worst thing that could happen. And yet, that wasn't going to kill me. Right. So people out there, if you're sitting on those fences wondering, I think those are great questions to help clarify how you can get out of your own way. I hope you found that discussion about fear and self-doubt as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to track Becca down, you can find her at Becca Reed Smith on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And also look her up at BeccaReedSmith.com. And that read is R-E-E-D. Check out the show notes to this episode to see exactly how everything is spelled if you need it and get direct links. You can also head to thrive.how forward slash podcast 89 for all of the links. Now, Becca has an awesome little freebie for you. The three steps to moving through doubt. So if you'd like a follow-up to this conversation, head over to her website and get that. It's a quick reference guide that outlines how you can reduce self-doubt and stay motivated, implement easy steps to slow down and effectively respond to your fear, eliminate your feelings of dread when it comes to making those important decisions in your life, and how to step out of your comfort zone with a sense of confidence and ease. Speaking of ease, 
My group program is live for registration and it is called Channel Your Chill. You can look it up at channelyourchill.com or you can just head to my website thrive.how and you will see links to that. Look under the work with me tab and you will find it. Channel Your Chill is a program to help you go from jaded to refreshed. So many of my clients and members of my community have told me that they don't feel like they have time. They often feel frazzled, completely unbalanced, and really just can't seem to get a grip on it. They can't seem to get on the front foot when it comes to that sense of self-care and feeling energetic. So I created Channel Your Chill, which is an awesome small group program where I will share with you my thoughts and knowledge around this and a whole bunch of really incredibly practical activities that I will lead you through to help find your sense of chill. Now, just like me, we're not talking meditation, sitting on top of a hill and and drinking tons of green juice. I believe in all of those things. Don't get me wrong. But this particular program is for the busy everyday woman and it's grounded in psychology mixed with my energy. It's not going to be anything that's too out there or isn't approachable. So go and check it out. Eight weeks of focus on you. You deserve it. Just saying. And it starts the second week in May. As I mentioned, it is a small group program. So slots in this one are incredibly limited. So if you are looking at it, please don't hesitate to jump over there and put your name down. Next week, I'm going to be talking to you with a little ditty about how to know if it is your gut giving you an indication to make a change or if it's your head running on overdrive. How do we know how to trust our instincts? Stay tuned for that one next Friday and In the meantime, keep smiling, keep going, and keep thriving.